This is Outside Shots, a college basketball betting podcast with Eli Hershkovich. Seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Covering game-by-game odds and futures markets. It's Outside Shots, presented by the Lions. Another edition of Outside Shots, the Final Four edition, presented by, as always, thelines.com. You can follow the Lines on Twitter, at thelinesus, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Eli Herskovich. I'll introduce my guest to the right virtually in just a moment here, but before we get started, as always, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring that bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including March Madness and Final Four. One more or two more to go after today. Going to record another with this very guest on Sunday afternoon, actually. So be on the lookout for that in preparation of the national championship game. The lines.com is giving away another $250 in Amazon gift cards in our March Madness Pick'em Contest for the Final Four. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com and join the Lines Discord betting channel to get notifications Whenever we release bets on March Madness, Final Four, including what I had last week, San Diego State semi-regional futures before the Alabama game. Cash that at around plus 650. Not bragging, though, because I also had an Arkansas regional ticket that got shrucked in the Sweet 16 against the Huskies that will be breaking down in the national semifinals games. But now introducing my co-host that I've been doing this show with during March Madness, Justin Perry. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Perry, a betting product and content lead over at Shot Quality. What's going on today, Justin? Hey, Eli. Thanks for having me back again. It has uh, been a good time to be here breaking down a few of these weekends, getting to wrap up the college basketball season. Always a little bit of a sad time for us over at SQ <laughs> when things start to wind down, but it has been a really great time. We're all really excited for what's going on in Houston. We have some shot quality team members actually at the final four, so kind of jealous, but really excited to be here and break down the games and hopefully catch a few tickets. No Armando Baycott ankles to be checked out like last year after the Duke game. I remember I was making a joke on Twitter. I was around the UNC bus trying to see what the situation was like before UNC took on Kansas in the title game. So no notable injuries to note for either of these national semifinal matchups. But just a quick run through of how we're going to go about things today. We'll break down FAU San Diego State and UConn Miami before giving out some projected lines and totals potentially for myself and with Justin and the team, the shot quality team have over with their respective projections for some potential national championship matchups. But let's start digging in, man. Let's break down San Diego State and FAU first. Aztecs were sitting around minus one and a half, minus two, pretty much across the board before one sharp sports betting group tick this up to all the way up to minus three and a half actually in favor of the Aztecs before the steam came down a little bit this afternoon as we're recording on Thursday SDSU sitting pretty much at minus three across the board some minus two and a halfs as well out there and the total 
to pull it up here is 131 and a half, which has not changed very much. Before we get into some of the matchup specific stuff, San Diego State, I'm curious if this plays a role into your handicap at all of the total, just in general, when it comes to handicapping Final Four matchups, because you have more so of a shooting backdrop than you get at some of these regional sites for the matchups previously in the NCAA tournament. San Diego State has now hit 12 consecutive unders. And I am not somebody that hits on trends in terms of actually playing the number, but it's notable because this Aztecs defense is elite. They have allowed a flat 17% three-point clip so far in the tournament, which is pretty unbelievable. And I'll dive into that a little bit. I'm sure you will as well. But in general, when it boils down to Final Four totals, does projecting maybe towards unders or teams underperforming shooting-wise factor into your handicap at all? Yeah, it's really tough with a team like San Diego State, right? Because they bring such a lockdown defense, especially on the perimeter to every game they play in. You you know it's going to be probably the crux of this game. Uh, FAU shoots so heavily from behind the arc, uh, I believe, like, you know, one of like 35th in the nation in frequency from three. So uh, that's really what this Top game 25. feels like it's going to come. Oh, is it? Is it? I think we could be a little bit off. And when I took that number, that's on me. But uh, yeah, no, one of the top teams in terms of being in that like upper echelon and frequency, right? Like they just will attack you with the three. They go for the most valuable shots. They rank in the top in terms of three and rim rate as well for us at shot quality. I think that, you know, in terms of what San Diego State's going to bring, it, it's it's tough, honestly, to say that a team's going to just continue to underperform. We had, I think Alabama expected to score like 18 more points from three if they had shot their expected numbers against the San Diego State team. But you get to this point where, and I think we've talked about it in past episodes, Eli, you have to maybe just say like, this is a team where you are almost expected to underperform. That's how often it happens. It's no longer just like teams should get to their average. This team is probably going to force you to shoot under your average, take worse looks. So uh, I do tend to think that's pretty heavily factored in. The real issue for me is that if this game is close, you know, you could see it really turn into like uh, a, a rock fight, right? Like really moving slow, a couple bad shots, some some shot clock violations on either side. This feels like defense could be the focus between both teams instead of it being just like this back and forth offensive battle. I don't think either team's going to be opposed to it. And if it does come down to like a couple possessions at the end, you could see everything get very drawn out. Pace is also going to matter a lot because San Diego State runs, I mean, they rank just outside of average in terms of average possession length across Division I. FAU is top 100 in that category. So uh, the Owls want to play more up-tempo than San Diego State, certainly. Now the Aztecs will push the floor a little bit off of those turnovers, and they do force a top 110 opponent's turnover rate, but... Tempo is going to matter a whole lot when it comes to the total, especially maybe to Justin's point, if you're looking at a first half under or a first half over bet, rather than trying to take full game under just because of the nature of fouling down the stretch. If the final score is just as tight as the spread indicates, but going back and looking at some more historical context here, I wrote about this in my betting guide over at the lines.com and, To your point, because we did hit on this 
when it came to previous teams that made deep NCAA tournament runs. And like you said, the expectation of their opponent's results in the tournament may be adjusting to those outcomes and the variance, the regression, not necessarily occurring like you would naturally expect when it came to maybe a key situational spot during the regular season off of a five-game win streak or when a key player comes back or the matchup dictates that. Because, like I mentioned, San Diego State's defense, like you said, has been elite so far in the tournament. But overall, per shot quality, they also have allowed the eighth lowest open three-point attempt rate across college basketball. And then you look at North Carolina, because this was the very example we brought up on our preview podcast when the bracket came out on Sunday night, going back to Selection Sunday. North Carolina, up until that national championship game last year against Kansas, allowed a 25.8% three-point clip to the opposition. And they actually allowed or ranked just outside number 196 across college basketball, to be exact, in open three-point rate. So unlike San Diego State, they allowed an above average or below average, from their perspective, opponent's three-point rate, depending on how you look at that statistic. So North Carolina got some shooting luck from their opponents, or at least the matchups dictated those struggles, or again, depending on how you want to gauge it, their success in that respective category. So just because FAU has a top 25 three-point scoring rate, like you also hit on in your mini breakdown there, San Diego State's three-point defense needs to be accounted for in terms of this matchup, and especially if they wind up controlling the pace. Because unless FAU is zipping up and down the floor with John L. Davis and Elijah Martin, if those turnovers are coming into play like we saw against Kansas State, Because FAU, which traditionally is not a turnover-heavy team, racked up 22 turnovers against the Wildcats. And statistically, Kansas State's ball pressure has been much more effective than San Diego State's. And the Aztecs have a very good pressure defense in their own right, especially on the perimeter. So I would expect FAU, I'm not saying they're not going to shoot maybe closer to 30% than they were shooting before the Elite Eight matchup when they got some positive regression against the Wildcats in the Elite Eight. But I do think the Aztecs' three-point perimeter defense holds up more than not in this Final Four matchup. For sure. And, you know, I think Kansas State also is a little bit more prone to those turnovers, uh, rank a lot worse in our standings than this uh, this SDSU team in terms of keeping that ball safe. And uh, we saw it. I mean, the guards that FAU have are ferocious. They know how to cut into those passing lanes. They're going to make you pay for it with live ball turnovers. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, I think this is just a different beast for them. SDSU plays a very like, you know, it feels like an efficient game. And I saw a stat out there that was like about how when, you know, SDSU scores efficiently uh, in terms of like having more than like, I think it was like 1.03 points per game. I'm not sure if you saw that stat floating around Eli, but like they're, they're really dominant in terms of like when they get above a certain offensive threshold, the defense is so consistent that they naturally tend to uh, win. But if they are like below like one point per possession, I think it might've been like 0.94 
they just they tend to actually be stuck in games and have to fight for their uh, victory a little bit more. So this is really going to come down to uh, how San Diego State is able to operate against that FAU defense and what FAU does to stop San Diego State, because like there's very little question to me about San Diego State's defense interrupting what FAU is going to try to do. They are good at stopping the three. They are great at some of these off the dribble three pointers that the guards for FAU tend to rely on a little bit. But that's especially notable there off the dribble three point defense to your point. Now, I do kind of want to jump in there because San Diego State's depth is such an important factor when it not only comes to that particular area on shot quality that you noted off the dribble three point defense, or at least points per possession shot quality wise, but FAU also ranks top 15 when it boils down to bench minutes. So they kind of even each other out in that regard when it comes to how well Dutcher, or at least how well San Diego State's depth has played so far or played out so far in the tournament when it comes down to wearing down the opposition like we saw against Alabama, like we saw against Creighton, which predominantly before that game when they played a little more Sharif Mitchell or McDermott used Sharif Mitchell more than he had in their previous three matchups. And that also had to do with Mason Miller going down in the first game against North Carolina state, but San Diego state's depth played a big role in Creighton's three point struggles going to a 17 against San Diego state. I don't think it necessarily mattered as much against Alabama because they are running Brandon Miller off the three point line. And then conversely, when it does play out like this and San Diego state keeps this more of a half court game and the depth, does negate each other out. If FAU is run off the three-point line and they try to attack you off the dribble, which John L. Davis is very good at, especially when it comes to drawing fouls, which can be a bit of an issue for San Diego State, limiting their foul trouble, even though they do have that depth. Like I mentioned, their length inside can be very disruptive, and they do have a size advantage, a very physical front court led by one of the best defensive bigs in college basketball, Nathan Mensa. And it is cool nugget wise that Mensa was on that 2020 San Diego state team that COVID-19 disrupted the Aztecs to have a potential number one seed. And now he's in the final four. I believe the only player remaining besides obviously the coaching staff led by Brian Dutcher, who was a former longtime Steve Fisher assistant. So all the historical stuff for San Diego state makes for a fun conversation in itself, but the Aztecs defensively inside and out. If this game is played more in the half court, which definitely plays more towards the under and plays more to San Diego state's advantage when it comes to the spread, even though the line spiked up a bit because of the nugget that we brought up initially to start off this breakdown, all those factors make me lean towards the Aztecs, but I project this thing get around San Diego state minus two, minus two and a half. So not really an edge for me, especially at this point. Shot quality really likes San Diego State. And I think, you know, our model is pretty notoriously stubborn, for the lack of a better word. Um, we we do not, we, we like, you know, champion our model's ability to not overreact to recent play. But in tournaments that can lead to it feeling a little bit slow to adapt to how good a team like FAU has been. And, and that's sort of what you're seeing here. We are going to expect that in, you know, the 10,000 simulations run over and over again, the expected 
<clears throat> I'm choking on my words today. Sorry. The uh, the expected it's been a long month. Yeah, it is a long month, man. The, the expected score for this one based on shot quality is going to be uh, seventy point nine to sixty two and a half. So we have it right there at around one hundred and thirty three on the total, and we're going to be pretty confident in San Diego State to advance here. We laid minus one and a half and minus two officially. Uh, we would pretty be pretty happy with minus two and a half to not really against the market movement understand it we do think that you know if this game is played as expected we should see san diego state but you know worth noted noting that fau really hasn't played as expected in a couple games so uh it's it's all about balancing expectations versus reality and it's just nice in our opinion to have that data point to compare with i'm curious because darian tramell has been the key or one of the huge factors, I mean, you go back to the Alabama game, igniting that Aztecs run when they were down by nine points and Alabama made their initial run, their initial quote unquote comeback in the second half after trailing by five, I believe at the break. And then also gave him the lead, which I don't think the Aztecs relinquished, although Creighton tied it a couple times for sure, but the Blue Jays never officially grabbed the lead back after Tremel's floater gave San Diego State the edge, a one-point edge granted, but still a one-point quote-unquote cushion with about five to six minutes to go. But it felt like a cushion considering the way that game was unfolding with Creighton looking like they were going to pull away a couple times, but like we've hit on a ton, San Diego State's defense is another monster, the fourth-rated adjusted defensive efficiency per Kempom. Curious, too, before we get into the second matchup here, uh, second of the two, and maybe the more intriguing matchups. Although, I'm not one of those people that really cares, man. I enjoy San Diego State FAU. We're college basketball junkies. As long as the game has a spread, has a total, has a money line, has props. Yeah, I, I've bet on Missouri Valley State this season, so you know I'll take whatever <laughs> I can get, and, and you're definitely not going to find me clamoring for the blue bloods and i i think this is a, a beautiful example of where college basketball is going and really exemplifies how special it is, is that there are 360 plus teams for people to know in order to properly understand this sport and that's why it's almost impossible to get a bracket you have 68 teams in the field and anybody can win a basketball game like there is no such thing as a 100 game in this sport the biggest favorites still give 20 percent to the other side like it's it's you know that's it's because it's college kids and anything can happen and we've seen 15 point runs we saw miami who we're about to talk about they were like 10 to 1 to win that game against Texas at a point. And, and I would know because I put like 0.3 units on him because I had a Texas future. And I was like, ah, what the heck? Uh, I'll play Me a little too, hedge. Man. But uh, no, anything can happen in the sport and it's really hard to handicap. And I think FAU being here is awesome. I love this for Coach Dusty May. I can't wait to see what it continues to inspire in this sport. And to your point too, what you just brought up in terms of the variance of the NCAA tournament as a whole this final four marks the first time in the seeding era. So I believe that goes back to 85. Not only will it be the first time, or is it the first time that there are no number one seeds, or at least in the Elite Eight, there were no number one seeds remaining for the first time in tournament seeding history. But it marks the first time as well in the seeding era that there are three or more teams that were listed with preseason odds of 50 to one entering November. Yeah. So you go back to where we're sitting, where all these teams were priced at in the futures market, San Diego state around 125 to one. I believe it's Caesars Miami, somewhere in the 80 to one range, Yukon 
60 to 80, maybe as low as 50, but I feel like that was closer to the PK 85. And then FAU in the ballpark of 2,500, not 25, not 250 to one, but 2,500 to one to win it all. So wild stuff when you look back at what has ensued, but we've both been on the money when it comes to not only our, our futures bets or positions, Justin, but also the notion that this is the most wide open field breaking down the NCAA tournament collectively since 2014 or 2011, for sure. It's, it's awesome. I don't know. I, don't, I love it. I love it. I think, I think, you know, if you're here with us, rocking with us talking about like things like shot quality, expected metrics, Ken Palm, I think probably understand like the statistical beauty in what we see every time these players play. It's, it's impossible at some level to predict every single game correctly. Like, the, you know, you aren't really out here playing the game. If you haven't had a game that you look at and you're like, I was totally, totally, geez, it's a rough day for me. Totally wrong on that one. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. You got to be ready for it. You got to have like that memory of a goldfish when you're trying to make predictions about a high variant sport uh, and just move on to the next one. Really quickly here, because people, I mean, this is the more headlining matchup with a theoretical blue blood. I know that's kind of gone back and forth too with UConn, but three national championships since 1999, I think suffices as a blue blood. What have you been up to this week? Because it's been a lighter week prep wise. I, for the first time yesterday, watched two episodes of Ted Lasso with my girlfriend and, and drank a couple high noons. So Pretty much the American tradition at this point. What were you uh, up to this week with a little more free time? I mean, a little more free time in my hands. I haven't watched the most recent Ted Lasso episode, so <laughs> don't spoil it just yet. Um, but no, I, yeah, catching up on a little bit of TV, seeing some friends that I haven't seen since like, you know, the end of January, really, with uh, all the shot quality product launches and all that cool stuff we've been doing. But also, like, you know, I'm I'm pretty much, like, right into, like, baseball season. I'm a big Yankee fan. First hit of the entire season was a judge home run. So, hopefully, it should be a good one for uh, the Yanks. It, I don't know. A, a little, a little uh, fingers crossed. It's been a... It's been a funny couple of years as a Yankee fan, just always setting up for like high hopes and, uh, you know, realistic disappointment. But this is our year. I don't know. I, I love I love uh, the same type of stuff with baseball. Honestly, Eli, nice. I look into like expected numbers, not really, you know, getting too much into like picking a lot of favorites or run lines. I play a lot of like pitcher props and I use like some of like the air density stuff and get into like visual memory to try to understand where players and pitchers are going to be in positions for us to find value. So uh, it's, it's a fun time and sort of just a summer hobby now because the focus is going to be NBA and right back into college really quick. <laughs> yeah, no, no question. Mo Nuara, by the way, our, one of our lead writers over at the lines.com does a fantastic job when it comes to betting on MLB. And he's got a lot of write-ups over at the lines.com, a 2000, 3000 word piece on win totals. We just did a video on that yesterday. And to your point too, when it comes to baseball metrics right there with you, a couple long shot picks for me, I have one long shot bet on an AL Cy Young candidate. Uh, right up on that over at the lines.com. Although Garrett Cole might've taken some steam out of that pick. And he never even pitches well in the cold weather. So I was, uh, I was really impressed if Cole's in that form, it might be again, good season for my Yanks fingers crossed. Second time. I'm going to swear on the outside shots podcast. Fuck your New York. Yankees. (laughs) All right. Over to the other semifinal game. I'm sure 
Uh, people hate the baseball conversation, especially when it comes to the Yankees. I'm just giving you a hard time there. Fair. We deserve it. We deserve it. I'm not against it. <laughs> UConn and Miami. This line has not fluctuated, unlike FAU and San Diego State. UConn has been predominantly a five and a half point favorite. Maybe a little bit of big, depending on the book, but sitting minus five and a half across the board. Total is at 149, 149 and a half, depending on the book. So where are you sitting at with UConn, Miami shot quality wise, Justin? And just for context here, I know some betters and people in the lines discord are riding with me. I have a couple of UConn futures, some lower limit bets at 80 to one, but predominantly UConn was filled up in my futures portfolio at 50 to one. So any, any nice. long, yeah, nice ticket. Any long-term stake for you here with this game or how are you gauging it? Just single game wise. No long-term plays for me right now. Unfortunately, I, uh, my two big long-term tickets were Tennessee and Texas. So some decent, I got some decent. You were at the Tennessee game FAU. So you were at the garden. What was that emotion like? Uh, I just, you could feel it. You could feel like the air getting like pulled out of the lungs of that Tennessee team, just unable to get points up. The momentum was shifting. Everybody could feel it. The FAU fans were going nuts, uh, had incredible representation. Honestly, they were going crazy. Uh, it was crazy to just feel that tide shift and, and to watch John L Davis get big clutch bucket after clutch bucket, um, hitting big free throws. The whole place was going wild. Honestly, it was a blur, especially after, uh, you know, the Kansas state game uh, and, uh, with Michigan state too, that one was crazy watching Noel put up 19 assists, some awesome dunks. So I, I barely even like, you know, I had to like sit there and think about what I saw because it was it was such a crazy experience. But yeah, I don't know this. Uh, it's it's an interesting one here. I, I did at least get the hedge with when I saw FAU like steaming back. I was like, all right, I got to put a little money on like <laughs> plus 180 here. Got it down. But uh, yeah, my long term bets are, are gone, which is OK. Again, we, we definitely got some profit out of them, which I'll consider a win in in for this UConn game, though. I, I honestly, we do see them winning. We have it 71.4 to 67.1. So if you're doing the quick math at home, that 149 and a half total is where we are going to be setting our sights over a shot quality. Going to be going in for an underplay here. We like the defense to do uh, some work in terms of finally getting a team that might be able to limit what Miami has done, especially on the boards. UConn's pretty nasty when it comes to rebounding one of the top teams we've seen it be a major reason why they've been able to win some of the games in the fashion that they have just limiting opponent possessions i don't second highest offensive rebounding rate too so that allows them to control the pace yeah exactly so you know following up buckets getting points never really like you know doing much worse than trading buckets it seems for UConn even when they were like losing to Patino and the Gales at the half you knew that they were going to come out and figure out a way to stop their opposition and then reliably get buckets Miami uh, you know, we probably at shot quality feel like the three point defense might be a little bit of a problem against this UConn team that has clearly shown they can get hot. They are hot. Um, they've been outperforming expectations, but reliably. So it's it's always that battle between all right, expected scores might be lower if they were to shoot their average, but they haven't been shooting their averages at all. They are, you know, locked in, hitting their shots. Um, I, I think that, you know, Miami's offense is scary for an under right now. They've gone to like 80, 85, 90 points. It seems like in every of their last three or four games, 
But uh, this UConn team is just a different beast. I could see it really slowing down late as UConn kind of clamps it up. Um, that's how I see it going. I like UConn a lot. I mean, I know they have a lot of market love too. Currently, betting favorites, you know, you get to lay a price for them to win the tournament. Odds on favorite so, at this point, yeah. Crazy, crazy to have that in the Final Four. But that's just the respect they're commanding. Their performance has been elite. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think it's a pretty a fair thing to say that they should win the tournament right now, uh, just based on the, what the profiles of these teams are on paper. But, of course, game's not played on paper. But, yeah, I like this one to slow down. I think 150 is a little bit high. Uh, and I think you're in a good spot to take it under because of the scores that have been coming in on Miami. Um, you know, I, always good to think that, like, betting results in the way, I, the way I play, I don't know if you're always standardized unit plays, but, you know, when, I, when you do play the same unit every time, it's a pretty binary result, right? Your losses have the same price every time. Your wins have the same price every time, assuming, you know, playing minus 110, pretty available in college basketball. No, and that's, and going back to what we brought up at the tail end of last week's yeah. Sweet 16 podcast, that's really important when it comes to bankroll management, too. Yeah, but you know the the nice thing is that like we the way that you know we kind of like to approach it is is even if it does you know go over by fifty six it won't go over fifty points but if it goes over by twenty points right and it gets to like one seventy uh, the the thing is that we just see that such a, a a larger side of this distribution coming in under the line there are obviously cases where it could go well past it. But, uh, you know, more likely than not, we like we, we feel pretty secure putting our foot down and saying this is somewhere you should put uh, a wager again, coming in closer to 140 for us. I think it could really slow down and just be a little bit of a different battle. Uh, you know, Miami isn't going to be forced into this sort of like last ditch hope type of playing that they had against Texas where they have to hit these threes, come back, you know, foul, missed free throws. Uh, all this, all this stuff sort of had to happen, and the game really got slowed down. I think uh, you could honestly see a, a UConn chokehold type of result, where you know it's just like at the end of the game, it's like UConn draining clock. Miami's still not able to get anything against the defense. Backdoor uh, cover. My, my favorite side here, honestly, of the, like the four units on the floor, though, is going to be the UConn defense. So that's why I feel pretty comfortable with the under, uh, and I feel comfortable with UConn advancing. I don't know how I feel about laying it uh, in terms of the points. It's probably a pretty big price on the money line, but if you want to bet on UConn, I would probably stay away from like laying the four or five right now. Good stuff there. And in the midst of that, you brought up a little historical context when it came, or just with UConn being overvalued in the market. To your eye, and I, I kind of agree, just a tad, I make this game somewhere around like UConn minus 4.9, so a little bit, less than a point, minimal. I don't plan on hedging my UConn future. I wouldn't bet on Miami regardless, just because it's not a big enough edge in regards to the, the market itself, at least right now, unless this gets bumped up closer to tip, which could happen. We see that from time to time especially with public favorites and UConn has been backed by both sharp betters for sure. Not the sharp betting group that we saw earlier today with San Diego state, but still very much so along with the betting public, just because of their utter dominance. And you look at how they've completely blitzkrieg through this tournament, an average margin of victory of 22 and a half points through their four games in the West region. So far, insane, but also not insane considering how they steamroll through non-conference play when you go back to November and December. But just going back into history a little bit, and I used North Carolina 
as an example in comparison to San Diego State's defense. This historical example relates to Miami and maybe there being a little bit of value or at least perceptionally looking at Miami a little differently than maybe on the surface you would traditionally do so because of how dominant UConn's defense has been to your point. So getting into it here, Miami and the 2019 Auburn Tigers is where I'd like to start because you go back and you look at the results. And I have this on a table over at thelines.com if you want to see it visually in my mega Final Four betting preview. If you go back to Auburn in 2019 and their results, they just hung on to a victory against New Mexico State in the first round. And Miami, although they did cover against Drake in their first round matchup, backdoor cover, I should say, which I know hurt some Bulldogs backers for sure, but Drake going scoreless in the final five to six minutes of that game. And the rest of the results kind of speak for themselves in terms of how eerily similar both of their profiles were outcome-wise over their first four games in the tournament. And then you also factor in that both teams were about even when it came to total rebounds on the glass at both ends of the floor, along with their defense, which allowed a 45% clip from the field entering the tournament. Now, that's again, it's kind of similar to the notion that I mentioned with San Diego State. You do not want to say that a trend matters when you're comparing two teams or over the course of a 12 to 15 game sample size. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I am saying is is that UConn, similar to Auburn's matchup with Virginia in the final four, because that spread is very similar as well. Auburn was a six point dog to UVA. That line got steamed up a little bit closer to tip and Miami, a five and a half point dog against UConn, which is a public darling. Although UVA didn't steamroll through their opponents in the tournament. It's, I mean, they backdoor covered in their own right against Purdue in that 2019 elite eight in overtime, but it's very similar to the standpoint of, okay, you have a team in Miami that could be perceived a little bit lucky to get here. Auburn, you can make the same case, especially after that first round comeback or them just clinging on to that one point victory with New Mexico State's. I forget who even it was, their guard missing two or three free throws from the line in the final second of that game. Wild. I don't know if you had any, if you were on anything in that first round matchup, 5-12. I don't know that I was, honestly, but the profiles definitely are so interesting, right? Like to to sort of feel like these teams, well, not, well, I say these because I'm already including FAU, right? Like there's just like both these teams are just here on a run that have come off of some close, close wins. And I think you see that a lot. It's very energizing. It can bring a lot of momentum to a team to like, you know, eke out a close win and move on with like, you know, that uh, like really battle worn, like we can accomplish anything. We can weather the storm type of mentality. And I mean, you're, you're Miami coming off of a, a win against Texas in the fashion that you did. You should feel that way. I mean, you know, that is supposedly one of the best defensive teams. Very in the experienced nation guards up- too. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, they have they have really great guards, and it's proven time and time again in this tournament that that is really what can set you apart. Because uh, usually that just comes with shot creation, right? Like good guards go hand in hand with like you know creating not only off the dribble or but off the pass, opening up other teammates. Uh, you know, 
I guess, handling spacing and, and gravity and, you know, organizing the floor to find value in terms of getting guys their looks. Um, and you need that. You need that, like, general on the floor who can execute a good coach's plan. And I think that's what Miami has really been able to do is, like, they have guys who know what they're supposed to be doing out there, are reliable at doing it, good hands, good passing. And then the bigs just have the the touch around the rim, the finishing, and the size, honestly, uh, to get it done. So I, I do think this is going to be Connecticut's biggest challenge. I mean, they haven't had a game stay within 15 points yet, right? The I think that was the St. Mary's game was the lowest uh, margin of victory at 15 yep. for them. I I would be shocked if this one gets past 15. That's that is feels like my safe bet. I know it's probably like minus 500, you know, Miami plus 15 or something, but like with with this UConn team that is something that probably shouldn't be priced that way. Uh they're just advocating pressure. for uh for a monster lay on the alt spread on the cage. I, I, I'm not advocating for the lay necessarily. <laughs> I wouldn't put money down on it, but this is, this is, seems like it's got to be a live game play. Where, yeah, maybe look, I think there's definitely going to be a point where, you know, especially if you're holding a Yukon future, which I'm sure plenty of the listeners are, you know, if it, this is, there's got, there's going to be a mathematical point where if you get like, 10 to 1, 12 to 1 on Miami because UConn's on a ridiculous run and they're and Miami's down 15 with like 12 to go in the second half. I feel like you get to that point where it's mathematically like, all right, I can put down like half a unit and potentially walk away with like like six units or something. And and you have like a 50 to 1. I don't know where the math would perfectly line up, but that's where I start to be like, okay, you know, at, at 14, 15 to 1, if UConn's really up, the craziest things we've ever seen have happened in the sports. So uh, I wouldn't be super against like a little sprinkle just so that if the crazy stuff happens, you're not sitting there with your hands in your head when it's all said and done. It's like there's it's, it is an emotional game. Right. And it's not easy to sit there and, and say, oh, yeah, I'm emotionless about betting. Like only it takes a real sicko to like fully take emotion out of it. And I think it's it's a talent and it's a skill and it's learned over time. But you know, you want to emotionally prepare yourself for, you know, situations. So you're not like driving around, like upset about your 50 <laughs> to one ticket. You could have had a little bit of value. It was 15 to one, man. Like I should have put down 10 bucks. I would have had at least a little from that. Awesome. Like we've all been there. I've yeah. learned my lesson. So uh, I get yeah, it. I, don't know. I, I think it's <laughs> a, you're right. I, it's not only a long term and it's a good conversation for another podcast. Maybe we save for it sure. for off season mental relaxation when it comes to it it is important but it's a process in itself when it comes to deciding on how to hedge and being comfortable with or with not hedging on your futures bet or just on a bet in general if you do get that money line price in game because I typically don't hedge last week I had San Diego State like I mentioned from the get-go on this podcast at plus 650 not a massive number by any means, but going back to the regional semifinal against Alabama, I bet the Aztecs to come out of the South region. And you could have made the case that in the wanting seconds or wanting minute of that Creighton game, Elite Eight, that maybe I put a couple bucks down on the Jays. But for me, and it had nothing to do with the money, I typically never hedge. And I, Look. I did hedge a little bit on my Texas Tech ticket, I will say, going back to the 2019 title game that was a hundred to one but we're also not at the title game yet I think I would hedge a little bit especially if UConn goes up against San Diego State now that might surprise people and we'll get 
to our projected spreads in a little bit here after I have a couple more nuggets on UConn Miami. But listen, it goes both ways. I'm not saying your strategy is incorrect at all. I'm just saying the way I approach futures at this point, final four, I typically don't hedge. That's fair. That's that's fair. Again, you can you probably, you know, are giving yourself the best mathematical, like long-term view by not hedging, right? Like you view them as, you know, positional lottery tickets, trying to get yourself the one that over time and playing that strategy the right way, you will eventually get yourself a winner, right? And it's true. You get the value, you're gonna get yourself a good chance. Um, you know, the other side of it is sometimes you want to feel like you got a little bit out of it, right? And even if it's just that one unit back to keep yourself feeling a little sane, you don't want to lose money on a 50 to one that you brought to the final four. Like it's, sounds like it's, you've all, been there. it's all personal, right? It's all there's, it, it would, people can, will ask all the time, like, Hey, should I hedge this? And I'm like, okay, well, I got to ask you like the 10 questions about like your financial situation. And here are the 10 commandments. Have. What a, right. what a you know, it's just like, hedging your future, it's individual. Yeah. It is. And there's nothing, there's no like perfectly right way to bet for every single person. Like you get to develop your own strategy that keeps you in the game, that helps you win. Uh, That's the beauty of it. And, you know, we all get to experience each other's methodologies to try to fine tune our own. I've learned a lot from people in this community, and I hope a few have learned a few things from what comes out of my mouth. So, (laughs) well, what I did learn from your initial points about UConn and Miami is you're one of those unit pros because you said unit about five or six times. Now I'm just messing around. It is a good way to contextualize it because you know that there are people and it doesn't matter even how much three figures, a hundred dollars or, or five figures, 10 grand unit shaming when it comes to the actual dollar amount is a big thing in the Twitterverse or gambling Twitter negative side, I would say of the gambling Twitter space. So I definitely don't blame you for taking that approach. But going back to UConn's defense here, a couple more points, and then if you want to rally off anything else before we get to our championship game projections for the potential matchups. Like you said, if this game is played in the half court, definitely favors UConn. UConn limits threes exponentially. They were top five among teams entering the tournament when it came to opponents' three-point attempts per game allowed. Miami, granted, they rank, I want to say, bottom 110, bottom 120 in three-point attempt rate, but they do have a top 43-point efficiency across college basketball. We brought up the Canes guards, very experienced. Similar to that Auburn team with Bryce Brown and Jared Harper, you have Isaiah Wong, who was on last year's Canes Elite Eight team. Nigel Pack, who is an experienced guard, even though he just joined Miami off of that monster NIL deal. Shout out to Pack getting paid. Literally, Love it. and Jordan Miller, Poplar, who I think has been there for a stretch too, and Omir, who is a very experienced big, and honestly, very underappreciated when it comes to finishing against more sizable bigs in terms of the opposition, whether it's Adama Sonogo, I don't know, that might be a tough matchup against Donovan Klingon, but at least Sonogo, I think he might have a little bit of success in the half court, or at least when it comes to his points prop, I think he's sitting at around 11 11 and a half. And the other thing to know too with Sonogo, just overall, this isn't any sort of a joke. And whether it comes to the individual himself or contextually in terms of his potential performance against Miami, Adama Sonogo is going to be celebrating or has been celebrating Ramadan throughout March Madness or at least over the last couple of weeks. And Ramadan, I believe, officially ends at sundown, which is theoretically a couple hours before this game tips off and it should actually be a little bit later 
after that in terms of the actual game time because this game, the second leg of the national semifinals will typically get pushed back, especially if San Diego State and FAU is close like the point spread indicates. But I do just want to say, plain devil's advocate to everything we've noted for UConn, dominant on the glass, dominant interior defense, and Miami wants to get to the rim in the half court, although they might have a little bit of advantage in the mid-range, a much better mid-range shooting team, even though Arkansas relied on it much more, or much more so than it does with any other attribute when it comes to their profile in the half court. Miami can score in half court and is more efficient in that regard, whether it's with Isaiah Wong or Nigel Pack off the dribble. But UConn turnovers yet to be exploited yet in the tournament. And this is something I touched on with John Murray on my podcast earlier in the week when we were breaking down the final four, very surface level, just because it was so early in the week. But UConn ranks, I want to pull it up here because I broke it down in my final four piece. Bottom 135 across college basketball in turnover rate. And we've yet to see that get exploited. I believe the only team that did it on paper was St. Mary's, but just because of how good UConn's offense efficiency wise in transition in the second half against the Gales didn't really come into play being closer on the box score for the final score result. Miami can force turnovers and they forced the fifth highest turnover percentage in ACC play. Isaiah Wong will get after it. Poplar, especially in that category. Then To your point, a team that hasn't faced adversity yet, we don't know how they're going to react when it comes to their mental game state. But for Miami to have a chance to cover this game, if it's not on a backdoor cover, they've got to speed up the tempo a little bit, especially off of those live ball turnovers. Yeah, no, I think uh, what you're saying with the turnovers is really key. Miami's transition is actually really efficient. I think that's one of the best chances they have to get some easy buckets and, and keep Connecticut from running away on them right and it, it it might be creative off of misses it might be creative off of steals but i think they gotta try to shoot in the beginning of the shot clock if they want to have any success um and maybe it's my play on the under that lets you know that i don't think they're gonna um you know like i think it's gonna be really tough I, but but if they are going to be successful my sorry my cat is kicking my camera as i try to talk <laughs> um you know if they are going to be successful in this game that's what it's really going to look like to me. Like it's going to be efficient transition plays, getting easy looks at the rim off of broken plays, off of, you know, long rebounds, just being ready to sort of run, uh, you know, not necessarily crashing the defensive glass, taking a couple risks, trying to leak out. Like that's what you're going to need to do against this UConn team to keep uh, their defense kind of honest Right. Because if they're crashing the offensive boards, you're in big trouble. Right. If they don't feel like there's a risk there and they can just, you know, send everybody at the offensive glass and you're not pulling down those rebounds and not making them pay for it. It can get ugly and out of hand quickly if they're converting second half points and, you know, not having many possessions end with a zero. Um, And that's just it's simple, right? I feel like a bowling coach, like get out there and stop them from scoring. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's kind of the truth. Like it is really going to come down to like Miami generating easy looks from defense. Uh, If UConn tends to get what they want, it's going to be hard for anybody to just match them because their defense is also really good. (laughs) Uh, While, you know, Miami maybe has a little bit to worry about, especially with their three-point shooting defense. Um, If, you know, that's really going to have to take a step up, in my opinion, as well. 
I was doing a little breakdown on this. I don't think I'll have a play on it, but the most outstanding player, I mean, there's so much variance too, especially when it comes to 80 year old farts voting on the award (laughs) to begin with and narratives. And when the vote needs to be submitted, I did a whole breakdown of this over at the lines.com earlier in the week, but Andre Jackson is an interesting case study. And going back to my point about turnovers, because I think you can make the case among the bets on the board and how UConn is priced into the title market. Like we had on earlier, the odds on favorite and Amasa Nogo, Jordan Hawkins, I believe tied for the shortest MOP odds and not really playable at that number, their numbers, even though Sonogo could be in for a big game against an undersized Miami front court, depending on how Omir fares and whether his ability to efficiently rebound and score down low against bigger front court so far in the tournament translates to a more physical Huskies front court overall with, especially with a seven foot guy off the bench and Klingon, who's been dominant in that regard when he comes in and spells Sunogo. But Jackson's turnover rate has been his big bugaboo. 16 to one. If I was to bet anybody in the most outstanding player award market, it would be Jackson at that price, especially with the notion that UConn, should win the national championship for all the reasons that we hit on. Does it mean that we'll feel the same way going into the title game itself, depending on the matchup, or does it mean that we won't find value in the other side if UConn gets steamed up yet again and the Huskies blow out the Canes? But Jackson, as a variable in his own right, is such an... The guy can be such an unreliable facet because he can be that playmaker like we saw at the end of the half against Gonzaga when it comes to making those distinguishable passes to Caravan where he literally steals a turnover away from the Bulldogs and then gives UConn a three-point or a three-possession lead going into halftime. Yet, he could turn the ball over a lot against Miami's ball pressure. So, the guy makes a big difference one way or the other for the Huskies against a pressure-oriented Miami defense, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be really interesting to see. Definitely an X factor. Uh, and I think that, honestly, when it comes down to how those potential final matchups could look like, I think, you know, when you get to the three-point shooters for UConn, it feels like, you know, someone is going to need to have a type of heroic performance to uh, out-duel either FAU or San Diego State, whichever one UConn would eventually meet, I think is going to come down to some guard play in my opinion. So yeah, I I don't know. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not so much into, I don't, I don't have any futures on player props right now for MOP, honestly, but I would tend to agree with you. I think, you know, that gives betting UConn players seems like the right way to go unless you really like FAU and like maybe John L Davis to continue to put the tournament on his back uh, is, is one that I don't hate instead of taking FAU, but uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting market. Not not my biggest forte, though. Yeah, before we get into our projections for the potential national championship game matchups, if in terms of bets overall, yeah, I like San Diego. State. You guys like San Diego State per shot quality against the number, even after the steam today, and then you're looking at the under for UConn Miami. Is that it so far? That's it so far. Um, yeah, don't have much of a side on UConn. We're right there at like four or five, and then the total we have for San Diego State is, is pretty on the money as well. So i uh, just going to take you know the side. Honestly, I don't hate the money line on San Diego State. If you're a little worried about it being close, I don't really love laying the price myself. Uh, Could wait but, for the game yeah, live, too. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, live betting is is such a important part of college basketball. And I think it takes, you know, it's a little bit of a different skill set and you have to sort of understand that you're playing a bit of a different game. But, you know, yeah, going against a run is is never a bad way, in my opinion. Like if a team's just like going off and has the ball in their hands, like you bet against them, hope they miss their next shot and the other team, you know, gets a bucket. And it's a, you know, a sort of a different Paul game in terms of how the closing line math is kind of done there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely not the worst idea. I think if you're if you're waiting for like a plus money on San Diego State, we've seen them play very well late in these games. Uh, they've been able to go on these defensive runs. So I, I do think you would maybe be able to find a better price on San Diego State if you wait. Yeah, tactically speaking, Dusty May, uh, Dustin May versus Dutcher and Larinaga, who has gotten the best of Calvin Sampson and Rodney Terry, two top 15 defenses per Kempom, which UConn also factors into to that metric, top 15, and has been pretty much all year despite the little bit of bugaboo they had in their own right collectively going back to the beginning of Big East play when teams were sagging off of Jackson to the point that I was making with him as an individual factor. He was a liability for UConn, not only turnover-wise, but because teams weren't respecting his ability to space the floor, and he still doesn't do so at an efficient rate, but Hurley and the Huskies adjusted in that regard. It'll also be interesting to see player prop-wise Jordan Miller against Alex Caravan. Caravan also when UConn was going through some of those woes at the start of Big East players because opponents were taking advantage and more physical teams, uh, especially teams that knew Hurley tactically, coaching-wise, were trying to take advantage of Caravan in the low post. Zach Fremantle comes to mind in that, I believe, New Year's Eve game between Xavier and UConn at the Cinta Center. And if Jordan Miller, who's a very athletic four, can exploit Caravan, who's gotten better defensively, but I still think uh, might be able to be had at that end of the floor. Can space the floor very well, though. Just a comparison to Andre Jackson. Now, really quickly here, Justin, before we get out of here, projected spreads for me for the national championship game. I have UConn as roughly a four and a half point favorite against San Diego State. UConn, seven and a half ish versus FAU, Florida Atlantic. San Diego State, just about minus one and a half, maybe leaning towards 1.6, 1.7 versus the Canes. And then, and this is, of course, before adjustments, but within the context of the sample we have, it wouldn't be a major adjustment unless we get some sort of injury coming into the championship game. Miami around the same spread against FAU, maybe closer to two rather than San Diego State being closer to one and a half against the Canes. What say you when it comes to projected point spreads? Oh, man, this is, uh, this is fun. So these projections are actually on the shotqualitybets.com slash March Madness site. Uh, we put up all four of the potential matchups, and no one's gotten in my DMs yet. So I don't know how many people have seen it, but <laughs> I'll save the best one for last. Uh, we have FAU meeting Miami projected at 74 to 69. So Miami to win by five. We have uh, San Diego State, Miami projected at 70 to 65. So San Diego State winning that one around 68.5% for us. Uh, Florida Atlantic versus UConn, we're going to make around 8.76.9% win percentage for UConn if they face FAU. And then uh, UConn, San Diego State, we're actually going to have a half point edge to San Diego State which might sound crazy, and I'm it, it's a little nuts. But, uh, yeah, we do really like how they're going to match up. We think that, you know, it's it's pretty much 
you know, they beat Alabama, right? So you can't sit there and say that their defense doesn't work, doesn't stifle the type of play that you see UConn wanting to go to in the threes. They have the defense to contend, uh, you know, and then their offense is going to come at them and try to play, you know, in that rock fight. Like I said, the Aztecs love to play. But yeah, 52% chance for us that the Aztecs would win. Now, uh, they have a little bit of a tougher matchup here against FAU than UConn does. But, you know, it's it should it should still be UConn. We make UConn to raise or to cut the nets around 42%. Market's a little bit higher, obviously. But that San Diego State game, man, should be a a really good opportunity to take a plus money line if it is UConn San Diego State just on the principle uh, you're probably going to get value against UConn yeah I mentioned the potential hedge for me in the championship it would definitely be the Aztecs and I do think that game even though my projections make it around two possessions granted low two possessions at around four and a half but I think that game would be close eerily similar to Butler and UConn in the 2011 national championship although I do think this game if it is San Diego State and UConn would be a slugfest would be a low scoring game yeah. total would definitely yeah. uh, correlate to that notion so there might not be yeah, any 130 right yeah. any any there might it might even be lower in, in the market who knows when you're talking about two top 10-ish defenses San Diego State being the fourth rated defense overall this season and number one over the last I want to say two months of college basketball that game I don't think would be as to your point projection wise and to my projection as well I don't think it would be as big of a final score in terms of the scoring margin that we saw with UConn and Butler I think this game would actually be tight and we'll get into that game if it does happen uh, because this has been a very lengthy final four podcast but a fun one we've gotten into a ton of angles which Hopefully helps people not only when it comes to their spread and total bets and maybe in-game angles, which is very valuable, even though the limits might be a little lower at some bucks, but also player props and most outstanding player. A lot of different things covered here on the Outside Shots podcast. But Justin, before I wrap up, any closing words? No, just a really uh, appreciative of you having me on the show. Appreciate you, you know, letting us talk a little bit about shot quality the expected metric game is one of my personal favorites, regardless of if I work for the company. I mean, I was out here talking about SQ before I even joined. So, you know, my passion runs deep about this stuff. I love sort of having this extra set of numbers that you can, you know, use to go for or against however you might want to use it. But it's just another important data set for evaluating the game of college basketball and You know, I love getting up here and chatting about how we sort of see it and what it means to develop good offense instead of sort of just basing it on if shots go in or not. I mean, I was reading about, uh, you know, air air density and the arcs of shots. So we could save that for the next time we hang out. But there's so much going on and you definitely want to position yourself uh, to make good decisions. And that's what shot quality is about. It's an excellent resource for any better and college basketball fan for that matter. And. Before we get out of here, remember to head over to thelines.com and play.thelines.com in particular as we're giving away $250 this final four weekend and a couple of contests for more details. Play.thelines.com. Subscribe to The Lines on Apple or Spotify. Your five-star reviews and comments go a long way to boost The Lines podcast, especially what we have going on college basketball-wise. So if you're able to do so, 
would really appreciate it. For Justin Perry, follow him on Twitter at JustinPerry8. Follow Shaq Quality as well on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. The Lines is over at The Lines US. Thanks for watching on YouTube and listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. So long, everybody. Peace.